tenet to it. I mean, philosophers have been studying and classifying the way that humans use their language for centuries. Like, that's not a new concept. Philosophers and linguists, too, I think, have been kind of studying, like, how language and speech uh, uh, propagates or helps humans connect and evolve. And it's so that's what this that's how this originated. It's called speech act theory. It's very interesting. But the bottom line is how how do leaders use their speech or their words or their language to then motivate and inspire and drive change? And they're basically using their language and their speech to execute their vision for what they want tomorrow to look like. Using my speech and speech acts to um, to drive uh, action and to drive change and generate results. So like that's, it's really empowering. It's really energizing because all of us can speak can speak. I mean, that's a generalization, but yeah, most people can use their words, can use the gift of speech. So we all have this power. And with that power comes a choice in how we use it, whether we just use it casually or if we use it strategically and intentionally in a way that we are executing a vision and driving good, basically. So I find it just very very empowering. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Like the anatomy of a request and offer, and it's exactly what it sounds like, frankly. But when you sit down and think like, what are those things that are missing from your vision for tomorrow, and you realize you need A, B, and C, why can't we just use our relationships with each other to be bold and make those requests and make those requests of each other? And by the same token, we can take inventory of like what we have, like what resources we have, and see how we can offer them to one another to support each other, right? Like, what, what is it that I've got kind of in my toolbox or on my, on my um, plate that I can offer and say, hey, Tom, like, I, I already do this work. I'm already doing it. I already have this. Uh, if there's anything you can think of, of how these resources would be useful to you or helpful to you, you know, you let me know. And that that's so powerful. We don't often stop and think about how we can offer to help each other and, and support each other. Uh, and take inventory of what we have and like how it might be useful to like others in our space. It's really beautiful when you think about like a society working together to really support each other and help each other.
Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Hey Improvement Nerds, this is Tom. I have a huge favor to ask real quick. If you're loving this episode and you're loving the content by the Green Dot Consulting Group, continue to show your support in the following ways. If you can subscribe to the channel, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, if you're loving these episodes, be sure to hit the like button. And if you could, leave a comment. That would help these episodes perform better and get higher ratings and reach a larger audience. Other things you can do to help support the podcast and my small business is to visit my website, www.thegreendotgroup.com. On the site, you'll find all the episodes, but you'll find other improvement content as well. Some of the popular features on the website are my online learning courses. If you're interested in becoming a certified Lean Six Sigma practitioner, be sure to check out my online white belt and yellow belt programs. Some of the other courses I feature are an introduction to change management, meeting management effectiveness, and project sponsorship. Outside of these curriculums, I also have an expansive toolbox, offering a variety of tools and templates to help you in your improvement journey. As always, Improvement Nerds, thanks for nerding out with me and showing your support. I greatly appreciate it. Now let's get to the episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marianne Jarvis from Serafina Health. I had a blast getting to interview her, and I think you guys are going to love her energy and passion for helping leaders influence the world and shape a vision for a better tomorrow through leadership speech acts. Hey, Improvement Nerds, this is Tom back with another episode today. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you as I feature my guest, Mary Andrawis of Serafina Health. Mary has quite the track record of working within the quality improvement space in healthcare. She's worked with CMS. She's also worked with the American Hospital Association. And now Mary's out on her own venturing out to create a company, Serafina Health Strategies. Mary, I'm so excited to have you today. Welcome to the show. Awesome, Tom. Thank you for having me. I've never been on a podcast before. So I'm just kind of, you know, making my introduction to the podcast world. So hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I cannot wait for this episode. And I can't wait to have this conversation, starting with, you know, a little bit about you and and your journey. So well, you know, I, I started my career in healthcare um, as a pharmacist. I really wanted to be a pediatrician, and some um, angel on my college campus um, rescued me from the field of medicine and convinced me that um, anything I wanted to be, I could be as a pharmacist. So, and he was absolutely right. So, I went to pharmacy school, and I really got passionate about medication safety and um, uh, medication errors as like a public health problem. So that's kind of how I got into the space of public policy and uh, public health. I ended up getting a, a master's of public health. And so that's been really the theme of my career for now these 20 years. It's uh, uh, how do we tackle the space or the problem of the adverse drug events that happen, the mistakes that happen, 
the weird things that happen that can go wrong when you're using a medication. How do we tackle that? Not just at a patient level or at a hospital level, but at a policy level, like nationally in our country. That's kind of been uh, uh, the thing I've been like trying to figure out for the past 20 years. So I imagine you was out, you said you're from South Dakota. So is that where you did I know you did your undergrad there. Did you do your grad school experience out there too? I sure did. Yep. I'm a jackrabbit. So I went to South Dakota State University. Um, I think it's, I'm not biased or anything, but I think it's probably the best pharmacy school in the nation. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll let the improvement nerds who listen in on this share their opinions about what they I would love. That... <laughs> yes. Yes. I would love it. Love to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, the, you focused in on adverse drug events, so the kind of helping to provide therapies to patients through um, medication and uh, pharmaceutical interventions, and then that led you to problem finding, and it was around you know that exchange in healthcare. It, tell me a little bit, like how how was big was the mind blowing experience when you realized that harm wasn't just happening around the exchange of medication in healthcare, but it was <laughs> bigger and grander and there were more things occurring. Did, did that, when was that aha? Wow. Well, you know, I started working at a pharmacy association. So I was really, I was at the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. That was my first, uh, my real job, like out of residency. And so I had an excuse, you know, for, for several years there to kind of keep my head down in the space of, you know, adverse drug events and medication safety. I would say that like kind of aha thing was when I went into CMS and I was joining the partnership for patients work, which was this huge uh, national initiative to really make a difference and reduce preventable harm, all kinds of preventable harm, including adverse drug events and, and medication safety. So I think that was kind of one um, one of like the first places in my career that I really uh, got exposed to how uh, significant this work in patient safety was and how critical it was that we as a healthcare team are coming together, not just to increase the quality of care, but to increase the safety of care. I mean, if 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 care should be anything, it better be safe. I mean, we want it to be great. But we definitely want it to be safe uh, and not like a harrowing experience, like when you have to go to the hospital for some other reason and then bad stuff happens to you uh, because of those either, like I said, it could be an error, it could just be an, an adverse event, but there's so many ways that things can go wrong. And like I said, it is so much bigger than than just medications. It is. And the and they're all acronyms. And it is like alphabet soup, all the potential things, the events that can unfold during a person's hospital encounter. And there's a lot of data collected about it. uh, And we're getting much more sophisticated about how we measure it and, um, you know, how we improve it. And the, the work that has happened has led to lessons learned and best practices to help us be more successful in the future. So for you to kind of, you know, be involved at the, at the highest level. So CMS was the group who kind of 
collected the data, discovered the problem and put it out there that we needed radical change. And that led to, you know, several events unfolding of, okay, well, how do we address this opportunity? Who do we need to involve? What's the solutions that are successful? What solutions did we think were going to work, but aren't? So it's, that's a lot of activity, a lot of energy that has to go into it. And, you know, for you to be present and all that, oh, I'm imagining there were some great days. And then there was some days where you just wanted to go grab the pillow and sob. Right. Sobbing was how, like definitely happening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we had, I'm just like recalling so many meetings, right? Like so many times during that time, good meetings and not so good meetings and positive energy days and like not so positive energy. So yeah, it was all, I think a roller coaster, but it was overall, I would say it was uh, a positive, more than positive. It was like a super ball of sunshine kind of thing. When I look back, not just in my personal journey in improvement, but even nationally, I think it was a bright spot for our country for sure. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, your career of going from the vision to the tactical plan to the the training and development and the individual projects to even what you're doing now. Okay. So, you know, I always thought like CMS was going to be like the last chapter of my career and that I would just like stay there forever. So I just would start by saying this journey was not at all by design. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I didn't design it the way that it happened. It was really just kind of um, a series of what I consider to be very, very fortunate events. But yeah, I started um, at a pharmacy association and very early in my career, I had the opportunity to, um, to join CMS. They were launching this innovation center that was funded by the Affordable Care Act. And they were just going on this wild hiring spree you know, doors wide open and brought in like me and maybe, maybe 60 to a hundred other people just like me um, at the innovation center, just to, to be like workhorses and generate like tons of work. And then um, I, I kind of spent my time at CMS focused on this program, the partnership for patients. And after my five year tenure at CMS, um, I had both the fortunate and unfortunate, I guess, circumstance of getting married and I had to relocate and I left. uh, I think I would have left. I think I would have stayed at CMS for a pretty long time. I really found the work very satisfying and I enjoyed being like a public servant. But I moved on to an organization called HSAG, Health Services Advisory Group. And I was like very close to the front line at that point. So CMS were running this national program, working with almost 4,000 hospitals all across the nation. But then I moved to HSAG, where we were responsible for about 300 hospitals with like doing the actual work with these 300 hospitals. So I was like visiting the hospitals and calling them and walking through the units with them and learning about what was working and what wasn't and like really getting to feel the work and be a part of the work. And it was interesting because I had already started, you know, prior to that as a pharmacist in a hospital. I went from that to CMS and then back to HSAG. And I really think that seeing things from those different levels in that sequence 
really helped me kind of understand like what is it like at a national level to launch and um, execute these programs, but also what is it like at the front line actually figuring out how to make real improvement and how to do that day in and day out and keep the motivation of your team and your staff high. That's difficult work. So I really enjoyed my time with HSHE. I loved working with uh, the hospitals we were working with mostly in California. And then after that, I had the opportunity to go to the AHA, the American Hospital Association, where um, I had a chance to kind of look more broadly across like what is life like for a hospital in our nation and not just kind of have my improvement hat on, but really thinking about it from like a hospital's perspective they need to survive and they need to manage all of these other other things going on and new technology coming down the pipeline. And um, I really feel like I got a holistic view of a hospital and life as a hospital. Again, going beyond like my my little world of, you know, improvement should be everything and you've got to make healthcare safer, but thinking more broadly from that perspective. And then finally, with Serafina, my my goal for Serafina Health Strategy, which I just launched like in August, so just a little baby company at this point. But um, the goal is really to focus on projects that can drive real improvement in our in our healthcare system, not just limited to hospital care, but also to uh, providers in the community setting and any program that can drive genuine improvement in our healthcare system. And we all know, you know, and I, I think your listeners, Tom, are like pretty um, in tune to the fact that we've got a ways to go. We have a ways to go in terms of transforming care. And so that's my goal for Serafina. And that's what I'm doing. What an awesome journey. And thank you so much for walking us through all those experiences that you've had. And I think the the thing that resonated with me was all these different levels from um, a national perspective to a state or regional perspective to a local perspective, which is a hospital, to a unit perspective, to an individual perspective, to a patient perspective, to a family member's perspective. It just, you can see that all of these things are connected and because they're all connected, they're terribly complex. And although we're talking about healthcare, that complexity exists in so many different industries as well. So if a person listening to this is like, I don't get it, I don't, I consume healthcare, but I'm not that passionate about it. Well, it was still what we're talking about, I hope has relevancy because there's so following that, that string from the highest levels all the way to the very front line of where the exchange actually happens between the operator and the customer and in the care of, uh, in the the event of healthcare, that's the provider and the patient, you know, but any industry being able to cascade a vision from the highest levels all the way to behavioral changes or process changes at the front line and then even the communication from that exchange all the way back up to the top is really complex and oftentimes doesn't make it all the way. Like it, the information goes one or two layers and then stops. And from there, you know, people just start to experience false starts or anxiety or frustration, so on and so forth. And you've kind of seen a, 
a good way to ensure that all the information is shared all the way across to all the right stakeholders at the right time so that true progress can actually occur. So I think we've set, set the stage now of all this complexity and all these layers and all these different individuals involved. And um, in that, how do you coordinate the right information at the right time to get the right result in the change of action, the change of process, the change in behavior? And that's communication, right? That's information sharing. And when you and I, we did our planning session, you, you shared with me the concept of leadership speech acts, which is very intentional communication. And I think that's gonna be the topic we nerd out about. Although we've already done a whole bunch of nerding out, we're gonna go further, right? We're gonna nerd out some more. There's no end to the nerding out. Yeah, you know, I, um, I have to start by saying I am the luckiest girl in the world because when um, I look back and I think about my improvement journey and, you know, what my life has been like over the past 20 years, especially evolving kind of my, my own perspective and my own toolbox of solutions that I can apply in my work. Um, I have had like the most amazing teachers and role models. And so I have to specifically call out two of them as we talk about this topic. So my teachers are uh, Dr. Paul McGann. He's still with uh, CMS. He's brilliant. Uh, and then Dennis Wagner, who is really a master at these leadership speech acts. He used them with system and method, as he would say, in virtually every interaction I've ever had with him. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge, you know, just as we dive in here, like those are the real teachers of these tools. And so I'll, I'll try to kind of uh, reflect their wisdom on, on these tools, because like I said, they are really brilliant in the application of these tools in generating real results. And, and we'll talk, I think, a little bit more about that. Yeah. What a beautiful thing to see right there. The humility and the acknowledgement um, because I know acknowledgement is uh, one of the speech acts um, to the individuals who uh, developed you and poured into you these principles that now you become, you know, their student, but now you're out and a teacher in some ways because you're taking the knowledge they bestowed you and sharing that with others. And being a podcast guest is one of those channels. I know there's other channels because uh, you teach, you instruct, you're involved with, with universities. So you're planting seeds of this information elsewhere. Um, so thank, thank you for, you know, acknowledging where it came from and the people who inspired you. Uh, those names were very familiar because the resources you shared with me, I saw both of those individual names on there and they are tremendous thought leaders. Uh, so let's do them justice as we nerd out on the topic that they are so passionate about and dedicated large parts of their career to. Yes, they have. And I would, I would be bold enough to say that they've made a huge impact in the progress that our healthcare field has seen in, in, in our nation over the past 10 years or so by applying these tools in their work. And I think the greatest manifestation is that of that is the Partnership for Patients program 
Um, and by the way, there's a lot of other names for that program now. I'll just stick to Partnership for Patients because it's an oldie but goodie. But just so that your listeners know, um, it's kind of evolved over the years to like have different names. But they really have generated, I think, a, a tidal wave of of uh, of change in other people like me that are doing this kind of work in healthcare through this program. So I think there's probably hundreds of other people just like me that would say, we know what leadership speech acts are and we use them with our teams every day um, because we've seen that these tools can really generate results. Right. It's that multiplier theory for sure. It's, you know, take an idea, share it with another, allow them to, um, integrate it into the work that they're doing, allow them to polish it and add back to it and make it more robust. And uh, from there, it becomes this ripple effect that just grows in scale and magnitude and impact as a result. And so th- they were kind of the epicenter and you were um, close to that initial event. And now you're taking in the ripples going through you and to everyone that you coach and influence. And those people then their behaviors change, their beliefs change, their abilities um, grow. And, you know, sometimes you get to see the great things that they do and sometimes you don't, but you got to trust that it's happening. Like all these positive changes happening as a result of everyone's commitment to an idea. It's so cool. It's such a cool chain reaction. And it's so amazing to be a part of it too. And then it's like a wildfire. Yes. So yeah, hit us with the elevator speech of what leadership speech acts are or is. Okay. Does it are or is? Does it matter? Acts, leadership speech acts are. Okay. Good. Because it's a collection of acts, right? So <laughs> it's a handful of acts. And I really like what you said, Tom, about um adding to it, you know, when you take something and you kind of without intention, you know, maybe it becomes your own personal style. You polish it and you change it a little bit and then you spread it. Um, so are the leadership speech acts because there's kind of like this core core tenet to it. I mean, philosophers have been studying and classifying the way that humans use their language for centuries. Like that's not a new concept. Philosophers and linguists too, I think, have been kind of studying like, how language and speech uh, uh, propagates or helps humans connect and evolve. And it's, so that's what this, that's how this originated. It's called speech act theory. It's very interesting. Um, And if people are interested, by the way, there's a book that I've been reading called Language and the Pursuit of Leadership Excellence. It is an excellent book, pardon the, the, the word there, but it is a really, really good book that talks about speech act theory. But the bottom line is how how do leaders use their speech or their words or their language to then motivate and inspire and drive change? And they're basically using their language and their speech to execute their vision for what they want tomorrow to look like. I'm a great leader in my household, by the way, Tom. So I use speech acts with my toddler all the time (laughs) to get her to, you know, get dressed, put on your shoes, which by the way, can take like an hour, a couple of hours. You have kids, so you probably get it. Yeah. It's a process. 
Yes, it is definitely a process, but using my speech and speech acts to, um, to drive uh, action and to drive change and generate results. So like that's, it's really empowering. It's really energizing because all of us can, can speak. I mean, that's a generalization, but yeah, most people can use their words, can use the gift of speech. So we all have this power and with that power comes a choice in how we use it, whether we just use it casually or if we use it strategically and intentionally in a way that we are executing a vision and driving good, basically. So I find it just very, very empowering. This is very nerdy stuff because it's a, a powerful method that can create, but it can also go the opposite way, right? It can have unintended, we already talked about unintended consequences. It can also cause friction and um, go the other way as well. So we need to be very mindful of how we use this and let it be known that Mary and I, we're encouraging you to use your power for positive intent, for for good, use it for good and (laughs) for a better tomorrow. Both of us, um, I don't know, I'm a huge national parks lover. And the concept of leave it better than you found it is something that when we're there uh, is very easy to see. And it's a value that my wife and I are teaching to our children that it's your responsibility, whether it's a park or your job or your education or a relationship you have, your role is to add to it and make it better and enhance it in any way that you can. And, you know, that's, so we're saying, Hey, like, leave it better than you found it when you yield this tool (laughs) yeah I like it that's beautiful yeah we do have this profound I think ability to impact you know the world that we live in through our words and it's not just our homes which is you know where we've spent 99% of our life the past year if you're anything like (laughs) I am quarantine (laughs) but yeah I think using this power using our words um, diligently and strategically to drive results is really it's fascinating it is and when you and I when we had our prep session you know you were sharing that through this dialogue we create environments where um, future realities that couldn't have existed in any other way now become possible. And I thought that was really unique uh, way to think about speech acts is it, it is laying the groundwork for future realities to become possible one step at a time. It's like magic. It is. I have a four-year-old who is obsessed with like the concept of magic. So if we can figure out how to, you know, hide the remote and then magically conjure it up and it's magic. And she just gets, she finds that like, (laughs) so thrilling, but it's kind of like magic, right? Like I have a vision for tomorrow of how I want this team to work together or like a silo that needs to be torn down or like how we want our healthcare system to operate we all have, you know, different sizes and shapes, but we all have a vision if we give ourselves the time, right, to just step away sometimes and conceive that vision. 
but being able to use our words to um, to not just inspire people to that vision, which is important, but to actually make it happen. So I'll actually give an example, like one of my favorite leadership speech acts, because I think it's just so applicable and powerful, is requests and action. Oh, sorry, requests and offers. Requests and offers. So requests and offers, I talked to you earlier about how these speech acts have been studied for, for centuries. Requests and offers is one of the speech acts that has been the most like widely studied uh, speech acts. So a request is like when you basically generate a future that wouldn't have otherwise existed. So for example, if I request um, my husband, John, to take out the trash, that's definitely a future <laughs> that otherwise <laughs> would not have existed. So requests are, are so powerful because you are, you know, um, like I said, generating a future that would not have otherwise existed. And those requests and offers can create trust because when I request something of you or of somebody and then you commit to doing it and you successfully complete that commitment, now we have something that we didn't maybe have before, which is trust. Because I asked you to do something or made a request and you committed to doing it and you made good on that commitment. So now we have trust. So like it evolves, requests and offers evolves trust, which helps teams become higher and higher functioning, like to get like more and more um, functional together as a team. So that's true for spouses too. You know, like when we make requests and offers and we say we'll do something and then we do it, it establishes this trust that I can trust John because when he says he's going to do that, I know he will. I know he'll make good on that commitment. So all organizations are basically groups of people that are kind of, you know, bunches of humans who are making and managing promises together. That's a premise that's mentioned in this book that I mentioned earlier. So we're making promises to each other and then executing on those promises together. So as a leader, if you can leverage that strategically, right? Like to step back and say, what is it that, that I think is missing to drive me to my vision for tomorrow? Like, what are those bullet points? You know, one, two, three, four, five like things that need to happen for my vision for tomorrow to come alive. Now you've got yourself a nice framework for making requests and offers. Yeah. That conversation can, in some ways, if you're not doing it in a way that's clear, you know, it can become guesswork. Like, so the request has to be very specific and has defined as you are able to do at that given point in time. Like we're not expecting to, with 100% accuracy, you know, communicate what it is you need, but you have to at least make an attempt and have dialogue about what that desired outcome is in order for that person then to make an offer to help you actually realize it. So when you were was saying something as simple as requesting to have the garbage taken out, you know, that there could be a passive aggressive in some ways, um, 
But if you said, you know, like, hey, I've got a lot going on today, it'd be really nice if you can help me out. And here's a few ways, a few things on my list that I, I would like you to take ownership of. So, you know, garbage, so on and so forth. Versus, right. hey, broad general statement of we need to clean the house. Okay, well, that that's a little ill-defined and quite intimidating. And you are going to have failure to launch because the person is totally capable of making an offer. But the risk is, is that they're going to make offers in areas that miss the mark. And that can be detrimental right. too. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Being specific is really, really helpful. And um, I think you're right that it probably can avert a lot of unnecessary tension Mm-hmm. When there's offers and requests being made that are like not exactly what I needed or what I was looking for. So being as tight as we can on the, the content of the request and the offer. And, you know, another way to think about this is like, it's very, this is very powerful because um, I am, you know, I, I can say I'm a super mom. I'm a super mom. I can do everything. What's more powerful? Me being super mom and doing everything in my power. And I'm thinking of those cartoons with like, you know, like the 20 arms coming out of it. One is ironing and one is cooking and one is preparing lunch and one is, you know, taking out the trash. And so is that more powerful, like one person trying to do 20 things? Or is it more powerful that I mobilize a network of people that can help, that can everyone do one thing and now you have this whole network of people doing something that contributes to like the overall vision instead of one person trying to just do it all and I think you know kind of to go along with our story of the or our our example in the domestic example I will eventually burn out if I do the trash and the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and the, I mean, and we all live in houses. So we all know what it takes to like keep a house alive, like the laundry and all of that. I could do that all and burn out um, in some period of time and have like an epic meltdown. Or I can mobilize a network of people where others are contributing to keeping this ship floating. And not only will that help with my mental sanity? But maybe it will be better. Like if I can spend five minutes cleaning or if I can ask someone to help me to clean and they can spend 15 minutes cleaning instead of just five, like now the house might be cleaner. Mm-hmm. So like if you apply that to our work, it's really powerful because instead of me just doing what I can in my organization, you know, in my role, like now you've got a whole network of people maybe that work in other organizations maybe even other industries, Tom, I know that the listeners here come from many different places, right? Like they're not all in healthcare. But we've got people working in many different environments and they've, they're all aligned on some shared vision or aim. That's powerful stuff. I mean, that's really cool. Like now you've got like hundreds of people all working together um, actually, I'm going to share a little proverb. I read this the other day and it really stuck with me. It was, I think it's like an African proverb or something. It says to go fast, go alone, but to go far, go together. That is very well stated. And in fact, 
we just made a presentation on that same concept um, around learned helplessness and leadership in some ways being um, incentivized in the wrong way to be really strong individual contributors and problem solvers and kind of nurturing behaviors in which they feel like they have to own absolutely everything uh, in order to ensure their, their metrics, their performance um, expectations are met. So, you know, they fill their plate up, they, they suffer them from full plate syndrome and they become exhausted and, and burnt out. So there you have the leader who's put themselves in a pickle, but now you have everyone who reports to that leader who perceives that that leader doesn't trust them to take ownership of some of those responsibilities. And so now both parties are having, as a result of that, uh, you know, frustration. And, and so what you were saying is this opportunity to delegate and to assign ownership and to empower and encourage other people. One, you, you get it done and you get more than you probably would have expected, but the experience is such more, much more pleasant, right? The leader has less on their plate. They're doing what uh, is probably the high, the, the harder work of a leader is, is to help people self-actualize and to develop them and to teach them the skills to execute or to trust their own ideas, to innovate, whatever. So now the leader is functioning at a higher level and also then so are that leader's uh, direct reports because now they have the opportunity to bring their creative perspectives to the problem. Whereas before they simply sat on the sidelines and now things are just so much better because of use of requests and offers. And so I, I hope I brought that to together and yes. it's so timely because yeah. we just presented on that last Friday. I love that. Yeah. I love that application because you're right. It is, um, it is empowering. It's empowering. And I love that the, the word that came to my mind was freeing because you're kind of freeing up the leader from needing to do a bunch of tasks, but um, also freeing those folks that report to that person to give them more accountability and make them feel more empowered. It's, it really is, I think, um, expanding everyone's capacity and hopefully bringing them more joy in the work that they do, right? That they're not just mm-hmm. operating within their confines of what they've done historically, but, there, you know, yes. together, like realizing a vision that they're working together to achieve. So it's really powerful, like setting that shared aim and um, using request and offer. So. Um, let me like talk a little bit about like the anatomy of a request and offer. And it's exactly what it sounds like, frankly. But when you sit down and think like, what are those things that are missing from your vision for tomorrow? And you realize you need A, B, and C. Why can't we just use our relationships with each other to be bold and make those requests and make those requests of each other and by the same token, we can take inventory of like what we have, like what resources we have and see how we can offer them to one another to support each other, right? Like what, what is it that I've got kind of in my toolbox or on my 
on my um, plate that I can offer and say, hey, Tom, like, I, I already do this work. I'm already doing it. I already have this. Um, if there's anything you can think of, of how these resources would be useful to you or helpful to you, you know, you let me know. And that that's so powerful. We don't often stop and think about how we can offer to help each other and, and support each other uh, and take inventory of what we have and like how it might be useful to like others in our space. It's really beautiful when you think about like a society working together to really support each other and help each other. Yeah, the concept of those who give, get, right? So what resources you have available, what capability. The, the, the interesting thing is in that when people start to make more offers, they start to appreciate their unique abilities a little bit more, right? So there's individuals I've encountered on project teams who totally underestimated and downplayed their capabilities. Like to them, the ability to do um, deep dive interviewing or motivational interviewing and to get people to open up and tell stories. Like, you know, they had done it. It came so naturally to them that they're like, yeah, big whoop, right? Well, you know, to another person who can't craft a conversation in that way to, to quickly establish rapport and to get people to open up and share emotions and share feelings, that's hard very hard to do. And that person who can do that, like now in offering it, they grow in their own appreciation of what they can do because they realize that it's unique and not everyone can do it. I think a lot of people oftentimes assume that their skills or their abilities uh, are pretty present in everyone else. And that's not a reality, whether it's connecting the dots to um, develop a project plan or to take strategy from idea to action to uh, doing analytics to applying empathy. Everyone has these unique strengths. And I would say a lot of people don't appreciate how valuable those things are. But when they go to make offers, they're going to see and that other person's response, like, oh my gosh, I I am unique. I am special. These superpowers I have are important. And the, mm-hmm. it just really lifts up their confidence. I love that. And you know, it's also um it's also empowering that, like, for example, you might have lean training and I have lean training. And I might say, Well, gosh, everyone's got, you know, everyone in my field, they have lean training. It mm-hmm. all all of a sudden it doesn't like seem all that special. But if you look at that in the context of my experience, like how I was trained, mm-hmm. um, who my parents are and like how I was brought up, um, like my genetic sequence. I mean, there's so much about me that makes me a unique receiver and executor of what could potentially be the exact same lean training that you have. Mm-hmm. So something that looks the same on paper, like, okay, we both have this exact same, whatever, black belt or whatever it might be. Even that can be really unique for an individual. And I love the, the power of seeing that individuality, what we have and seeing that nobody else in the world has that very unique combination of the skills and the abilities and perspectives that all kind of, they blend and they mesh together and they influence each other 
nothing is independent. Like inside of us, there's no clean compartment where my lean training lives. It's not clean. It touches all the other stuff in my brain, like my pharmacy background and my uh, training in this hospital and my experience at CMS and all of that touches my lean training and influences the way that I received that and that the way that I learned it and the way also that I apply it in my work. So you're right. We're so unique. Yeah. Uh, So you've had two moments where I wanted to say like that new Yeti you have, like you've you're at the point where you could technically pick it up and do a mic drop, but don't because it's new. Um, and it's not also, it's a shared asset between you and your husband. So I don't want you to do a mic drop, but you just did a, per, a proverbial mic drop and what you just said <laughs> right there. And I loved every moment of it. You're saying I should not drop my blue Yeti on the floor. Don't. And I'm, no. I want to. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate that we went really deep on the concept of requests and offers. And there's, I know there's other elements in speech acts, I'd already brought up the concept of acknowledgement. Uh, that's the, the closed looped um, crescendo of you fulfilled your commitment and here's me showing appreciation. And that really just takes the trust and solidifies it and positions it for the next exchange and the next exchange. And I think you'd already kind of said it, that it's a, a exponential growth curve in some ways is that a small favor or simple task now opens the door for a larger, more complex task to then be executed upon. So acknowledgement is really essential for that to, that to reciprocate and to continue to grow and mature. Because if someone goes and fulfills a commitment and you don't acknowledge or show appreciation for it, it's going to be like, okay, this, the, whatever I brought to the table, I did my part, but it went unrecognized and eventually that person's going to quit making offers or contributing because of that lack of follow-up. So we have that piece of it. There's other pieces of it kind of at the start. uh, And I don't know if these things are linear. They might be, I just saw the image and I'm making things up right now, but at least to me, the starting point was the attestation or the declaration pieces. So Mm -hmm. um, at attestation hit us with those two things it just if you can so we so we give as much as the picture of speech acts leadership speech acts as we can what are those two things so so one of my favorites is declarations declarations are so powerful and um when you read like this book about speech acts they give the example in declarations of i now pronounce you husband and wife that is a declaration because It is something that happens by that statement. Like you said it, so now it is true. Declarations are so like, so cool because once you declare something, it's been declared. So, and of course there's limitations. So I can't necessarily like declare that it's going to be 80 degrees today. (laughs) I tried and that one didn't work. So (laughs) But declarations are like you take something that's within your realm and declare the truth and you declare a vision for tomorrow. Um, so declarations can be really, oh, go ahead. I, this, so this to me um, is a positive thing around social media. So it, it's a forum 
for you to declare, make declarations. And for me, you know, I, I have a good friend, his name's Travis Lozier, and we collaborate a lot and I uh, am a better person as a result of his mentorship. So we'll nod our head to him, but he'd always say, just put it out in the universe, man, see what happens, right? So I did that with the podcast. Like it was an idea in my head and it could have possibly lived there forever until he said, just take that first step and declare what you want this to be and see who responds. Um, so whether it's podcasting, I I went from being a high school athlete to a college athlete to an endurance athlete. And, you know, so I had to make declarations that I wanted to finish a marathon, that I wanted to achieve a fundraising goal by running that marathon. I wanted to transition from marathoning to triathlon and to become an Ironman and to make those declarations. And when there's this thing, when you put it out in the universe, now it's out of your head and it's more possible as a result. So I would, I can say, had I not done those things, had I not make those declarations, I would not be having this podcast with you right now because I would have continued to been chicken shit and I would have never hit the record button and I would have mm-hmm. never trained to cross the finish line of an Ironman because, yeah. you know, I, all those things, you, you don't do those things by yourself. All of that is achieved through the coordinating, the, the coming together of a community that makes it possible. Yes. How cool. It's the same with like when Kennedy said, you know, before this decade is out, we will have a man on the moon. And that was his declaration. And he put that out to the universe, like you said, and through his words, things conspired, transpired that then made that a reality. And so it is kind of a, a beautiful, it's like a, it's like a, a weapon almost of a leader that a leader can use to say, I'm going to declare this. And by declaring it, I will will this into the future. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when you were training, you didn't just say you would complete a marathon. You also did a ton of running, you mm-hmm. know, dragged yourself out, tied those late, you know, laced up your shoes. Like it's, it has to be backed up with like a ton of blood, sweat and tears. But the declaration, like really, I think, opens a door, like you said, that makes something become a reality because now you've said it, you've taken it out from this kind of, you know, black hole of what happens up in our minds and our hearts. And so much is always toiling and spinning in there, dreams and thoughts and visions. And once it comes out, you speak it, it comes out of your mouth as a declaration. It's so cool. And I know another example that we could talk about here is in this article that I um, sent to you talks about the declaration of independence mm-hmm. and how like our founding father sat down and said, this is, these are the articles that could kind of describe the vision for mm-hmm. our independence as a nation. And I just think that is so cool. And we can, we can use these tools. Yeah, it doesn't, You don't have to be, you know, a vice president or president of the country. Like you don't have to have some fancy title to use a declaration. Not, not at all. It's, it's something that anyone can and should uh, do. So in this, like 
one of the things in my career, the declaration that rallied me the most was the article to Air is Human and Don Berlick's declaration that we will save 100,000 lives uh, through our work by this time. And not only did he declare it, but he then invited others to place their signature, almost like the Declaration of Independence, to place their signature on that document that they were then agreeing that they would uphold that vision and do what they are capable of doing to, to get there too. And, you know, through yeah. that declaration, there's been the snowball effect and it's gone from a hundred thousand to multiple millions of lives saved because one person declared that that was a future reality they wanted to see happen. And that people wanted to be a part of that future reality. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And then you can see how these declarations really paved the way for the requests and offers, right? Because yes. once you've declared that future state, you've declared it. Now you have space where you say, well, how do you close the gap between today and tomorrow? Like what, what do we need to do between where we are today and what that future declared state is? And that makes the space that opens the doors for the requests and the offers for us to start to really work together to fill the gap, like I said, that stands between the today that we have and the tomorrow that we seek to be or seek to have. Yeah, and so here's me trying to pretend I know something that I probably don't, but it makes sense in my head, so I'm going to put it out there. Okay, so you make your declaration, and what you were saying is there's this gap between where you are and where you want to be, and that gap to, to close it is very intentional requests and offers there's the middle ground so that you can be more coordinated in the order in which you place those requests and offers and that's the attestation and the assessment right it's so an attestation is your current reality is factual it's you know in some ways looking at if we took demaic define measure analyze and prove it's the measurement in this uh, analyze phase to say here here's our current state Here's our root cause issues. Here's the things we believe are broken that we need to fix. And then from there, you could be more coordinated and logical and tactical in the way that you make your request. You're shaking Absolutely. your head. Okay. Oh, man. I'm glad you were shaking your head as I was saying that. Because if, if you just made a declaration and then you let people go out and do random acts of kindness... Um, we can't really be sure that we're making progress towards our desired future, right? So you have, there has to be some logic that occurs in between those things to say, what's the first step, the second step, the third step. And most times that's all you're going to see is step one, two, and three. And then that's going to unfold the next three steps. It's very adaptive um, and builds self-building over time. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go off the speech act topic for a second, because you made me think of something that the dentist is, um, his voice is in my, my mind always telling me that um, aims create systems and systems create results. Dennis, this is, this is like, this is his song. Okay. Aims create systems and systems create results. And to be fair, if you talk to him, he would say, oh, like some other famous person said it. 
I don't know. But to me, Dennis said it. Yeah. And there's, it, it's truth. Oh, it's so true. And, um, in they, we have to appreciate that every system, and I think this is Deming, who says that every system gets the result that it was designed to, to provide, right? So if you have these aims and you have these systems and these systems aren't capable of current, currently or getting you where you want to go, you have to fix those systems. You have to improve its capability. And so that's, you know, how all this kind of goes together is you need a true north. You've got to know the direction you're heading. You got to know the tools you have, the resources and the processes that can get you there. You have to evaluate the, the abilities and the capabilities of those things to actually work in the way you want them to so that they work for you instead of against you. And so it's, yes, it's a cascading effect from- It's the- a cascading effect. Well, and the beautiful part about it is in a way it can be very hands-off because if we've all, and that's why the, the phrase says aims create systems, because if we've all kind of like oriented ourselves so that we're facing you know, the same aim, at least in some element, right? So um, we're, we're all kind of calibrated and like going in that direction where we've all agreed to this aim, that automatically in a very hands-off kind of way creates a system. The system will create itself. The system will come to be, it will, it will generate, it will um, form without tons of design and legwork and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and we have to do that it's very it's very um kind of magical right you put your hands up in the air and watch the system come to light because you've set an aim and all of these stakeholders people organizations you know whatever it might be all are all trained upon that same aim and now there will naturally evolve a system it will naturally come to be because all of these stakeholders and people and organizations and whatever it may be are focused or in agreement on that aim and that's the again the power of the declaration is that you're establishing that aim that the man will be on the moon you know it kind of brings together it brings to mind a vision that i have um, from a meeting a memory uh, from one of our early days of the partnership for patients i'll never forget uh, Paul McGann, Dr. McGann, standing up at the whiteboard and sketching something on the whiteboard. And, you know, we were all kind of sitting, trying to figure out, like, what, what is he writing? What is he drawing? He steps back, and there on the board, he had sketched out a spaceship. <laughs> he had sketched out a spaceship. And then he drew up, up, up high on the top of the whiteboard a little uh, moon, proverbial, you know, with what at the time were the program's aims, which were a reduction in harm and a reduction in readmissions. And he had drawn that on the moon. And he said, our goal is we will, you know, again, proverbial landing on the moon. We are aiming for the moon here to get man on the moon. And the moon is 20% 20% reduction in harm and 12% reduction in remissions. And I'll never forget that kind of visual that he drew of that declaration that he put before us. And that declaration 
uh, created a system which did, in fact, achieve that goal. And it opened the door for you to make an informed decision about what you wanted to do, if you wanted to get on or get off of that spaceship, right? And the, right. you have to respect that humans, they have choice. And uh, if you're not clear, you're robbing them of the opportunity to decide what they want for themselves. So in you, that was a pivotal point, a defining moment for you to say, I want to be part of that mission, that I'm passionate about it. I'm motivated by it. I I don't know how I'm going to get it done, but I'm committing that I'm going to figure it out. And I think that is the development you can provide to others when you share your vision, when you share your idea and you ask them, are you in, or are you out? And, mm-hmm. and not judging in either instance, you know, and both outcomes should express gratitude, right? Because you know, that person has been transparent and honest with you about who they want to become. And not all of us are over the moon excited about improving healthcare, but maybe we're excited about um, other things, bringing forward a new technology, making mm-hmm. water more safe to drink. But, so there's mm-hmm. things that fill people cup. And that's really the emphasis of the improvement nerd concept is you know, by doing what makes you nerdy and doing the things you love, you are in fact are making the world a slightly better place because you're showing up more whole, more complete, more excited, and you're going to actually be successful in bringing about the changes you want to see happen in the world as a result of that. And that's where this podcast originated from was the those choices people make to to leave it better than they found it. I love that. I love that. And I hope that we can always look to speech acts and look inside to see that we, our, our, our individual selves are very powerful beings. We are powerful. It doesn't matter, you know, what, like I said earlier, you know, what your title might be or where you live in, in, in society, you still are a powerful being. And there's so much that you can contribute to um, whatever, it is that drives you, whatever your passion is. And, you know, for me, it's driving improvement in healthcare. And I know that if one person can make a difference, that one person could be me. But I think that is a, an amazing call to action is to apply the use of speech acts towards the difference that you want to see occur within your 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 environments as small as your dinner table in your home slightly outside of your home and into your neighborhood beyond your neighborhood and into your work so on and so forth you know try using speech acts in order to fuel that that change it's great it's 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 amazing and it's the only thing that's ever really driven change in our world it's like somebody a person you know I'll share a quick quick story I remember learning in uh, my MPH program the study that I think anyone that's done an MPH would have heard about the study uh, where there was an individual outside of an apartment building um, screaming for help yelling for help she was being attacked or can't remember the the details. And 
many people came out to their, their balcony to see, you know, this person that was screaming for help. And in the study, they said, you know, it was like 50 people that had acknowledged that they saw and heard this person asking for help and not a single person dialed 911 because they all assumed that someone else would or someone else did. Um, so I would encourage you all like to not assume that someone else is going to make the change that needs to happen, step up and be the leader, you know, do that thing that needs to happen in your neighborhood. Someone really needs to, you know, get a stop sign put in here, whatever. You are someone, you are that person and you can and you should uh, lead the change and lead the way. Wow. All right. That was your third um, picking up and proverbial dropping of your Yeti microphone. Um, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come onto the show and, and to nerd out with me and to share with the audience your passion for leadership speech acts. I loved it. Uh, I hope that the audience loved it. And I hope that they reach out to you. So as we bring things to a close, and I'll make sure these are in the show notes, but how do individuals connect with you? Uh, however they want. You guys can ping me on LinkedIn um, or shoot me an email. It's mary at seraphinahealth.com. The Serafina is spelled with an F like in Frank. Yeah. And I just, I'm going to swing at one more thing. I looked up Serafina, although I said it wrong. It looks like it has Italian roots. So I'm guessing there's a little bit of that in your heritage. And then I looked up its meaning and it's been translated as the feisty one. Did you know that? Ooh, I, I did think not, but maybe, that's how fitting. Yes, I, I, uh, so I don't know um, if that, it fits in some ways I thought, oh, it was intentional because of the conversations we have. I'm like, oh, she is feisty uh, and she wants good things to happen and she's unrelenting in the pursuit of that. And I'm like, well, she's definitely got the fire. So I thought Serafina was that, but it's very fitting. And um, if if it wasn't intended, now maybe you can add that to the story you tell. I'm, I'm going to add it right. I'm writing it down. Right <laughs> awesome. That's well, so good. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Thank you. you Thank you awesome. for nerding out were, with me. You are a force and I appreciate this. This was so fun. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you.